text for the message this afternoon is Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12. Last little while we were looking at the Beatitudes, and this is the final blessed statement of our Lord Jesus Christ in this Sermon on the Mount. We'll read it together, Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utterly utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, also Kendra and Brody, and Alexa and Larissa, and Calvin and Luke, and Asia and Kea, and Kayla and Janessa and Richard and Jenna, especially here this afternoon to publicly profess their faith and surrounded by family here in the building and spiritual family also participating in live stream. And we all reflect together on how these young people have been taught the gospel by their parents and grandparents their teachers, their friends, the ministers and elders. And now by God's grace, they believe that the gospel is true. They have faith in Jesus Christ. Today they want to publicly profess this faith. And faith, we confess, is the instrument by which we embrace Christ, our righteousness, And that faith keeps us with him in the communion of all his benefits. And when we publicly profess our faith, we are simply declaring to the world that we are connected to Jesus Christ in an intimate and an inseparable way. Joining our lives with Christ's life and Christ's purpose, Christians are united to Christ as a part of his body, and share in all his holy works and his merits. People with faith in Jesus Christ are identified with Christ, and immediately all our choices and reactions and experiences are because of him. Jesus said in Matthew 5, that people will utter evil against you falsely on account of me. A Christian's life is different than the lives of people who do not belong to the kingdom of heaven because of him. It is because you embrace him with the arms of faith that you also are, uh, you have the privilege of being counted worthy to suffer disgrace for his name. That was on the board as you walked in. It was Acts 5 verse 41 as the apostles after they had been flogged and beaten and probably still bleeding, they rejoiced that they were worthy of suffering for Jesus because of him. So we're treated as Christ is treated. The Lord Jesus says in Matthew 10 that he would acknowledge those who acknowledge him before his Father in heaven, be received in God's presence by the Father just as Christ was received in the Father's presence. And then John 15 goes further. They said, well, if they, people love Christ, they will love you. The people in this building who love Christ love you, who are professing your faith. We, we love one another. But it also says if people hate Christ, they will hate his followers. 
that the lives of Christians are determined by that phrase, because of Christ. For the consequences of being part of a different kingdom and serving a different king than everybody else, the consequences are life-changing. And I preach you the gospel under this theme, though kingdoms collide, Christians rejoice in Christ's victory. We'll see that because of Christ, Christians are righteous, Christians are reviled, and Christians are rewarded. Well, God's work in our lives is always first. You young people are here today to publicly profess your faith because God sent his son into the world to save sinners. God imputed to you the righteousness of Christ so that you still, although you still hate the sins that are in your heart, you know that you are righteous in God's sight forever. You are called a Christian because you belong to Christ's body. You share in his anointing, the Holy Spirit, whom Christ received upon his ascension into heaven, is poured out into the hearts of everyone who believes in him. We read that in the end of John 15. The Lord shows that he is with you because he leads you through the steps of the Beatitudes. If you have Matthew 5 open, you can see what it means to be righteous in God's sight. You can know, first of all, you know who you are. You're poor in spirit. You know that you're dependent on God. Then you, although you mourn over sin, you are also comforted with the gospel of salvation in Christ. You are meek in your relationships with your neighbors, and you yourself hunger and thirst for righteousness. Your desire to be righteous according to God's will, revealed in the Ten Commandments that you spoke about also in front of the consistory and in front of your parents, that desire to, to live a holy life, it can be seen in, in your life. You're, you're merciful to your neighbor. You're pure in heart. You're a peacemaker. And then Jesus says, because of Christ, you who are righteous and you who live a righteous life and you who, who love God and you love your neighbor, because of that, as strange and contradictory as it may appear, Jesus said, you will also be persecuted for righteousness' sake. The picture is given of Satan and his forces in the kingdom of darkness. They're, they're waging war against Christ and the kingdom of light. And so as Jesus explains in this last blessed statement, persecution is as much a part of the Christian life as showing mercy, loving God and loving your neighbor. Now you will notice that Jesus carefully qualifies the unique reason for persecution that true Christians endure. He makes it clear that he is talking about being persecuted for righteousness' sake, on account of him. The word persecution itself is, is a very broad word. It includes all attempts to make someone be quiet or to remove someone from their sight. In this broad sense, people have been persecuted for many different reasons in their lives. Peter even makes us think about thieves and murderers and evildoers and meddlers who are, who are pursued by the government and removed from public life and society for their crimes. And then he says, let's not suffer for those things. Let's not 
suffer in these ways. People are sometimes persecuted for political views that may spring from the Christian faith. But since persecuting governments treat everybody that opposes them in the same way, that's different than being persecuted because of righteousness. History has shown that many others have suffered because of their success or their religious fervor or because they are a minority group in a crowd, because they're representing a particular race or language or sexual orientation or a cause that others are unwilling to accept. But this too is different than being persecuted because of righteousness. The point is that persecution in itself is not proof that someone is a Christian, but a person proves they are a Christian by their faith in Jesus Christ, by their hunger and thirst for righteousness that causes persecution. Those who are persecuted because of righteousness are those who are being pursued or mistreated simply because their lives have been changed by the grace of God to them in Jesus Christ and because they love God and love their neighbor. We can think of the example of Abel who was murdered by Cain and the Bible says because Abel was righteous. Or Jeremiah, who was thrown into a pit because he was faithfully repeating the message that God had given him to speak. We can think of Daniel, who was hated because he prayed to God faithfully every day. Or his friends, who were thrown into the furnace because they wanted to obey the first commandment and wouldn't worship a man. Being persecuted because of righteousness is exemplified by John the Baptist whose head was cut off and put on a platter because he told the king that his marriage was sinful. Or the apostles who were thrown into prison for telling people that Jesus rose from the dead, that he had come to save both Gentiles and Jews alike. In the last beatitude, our Lord Jesus was describing the treatment that he also would receive in his life. For although he was the most meek, loving, kind, compassionate, and merciful person who ever walked on the earth. His enemies sought to kill him for his authoritative gospel preaching and his life-saving miracles. And you can see the, the character of their hatred when you read that after Lazarus had, had been raised from the dead, they, they were even more intensely desirous of killing him. In all these cases, the righteousness of God's servants because of Christ caused the hatred and the anger and the persecution. And Jesus said, when that happens, you are blessed. And Jesus tells us this because he wants us to know right from the outset what to expect. Peter even says, I don't want you to be surprised. This is what you can expect when you are an imitator of God who seeks to live in righteousness as Jesus Christ did. Now for someone who converts to the Christian faith in the midst of hardship, Jesus' words are no surprise. They would, they would look at that they'd say, yeah, of course, we suffered to become Christians. But for people who are considered followers of Christ for most of their early years, simply because their parents were Christians, and for those who may feel 
that the path of least resistance is actually standing here and, and professing your faith in front of the congregation. It's extremely important to know that when Christ makes us righteous and brings us into the, the fellowship of, of his body and into his church, he is calling us to a radical life of obedience. And he is urging us to, to not allow hypocrisy to, to fill our lives. There are no divided hearts in the kingdom of heaven. You can't be, be riding on the bus if you're still tied to the bus stop. The church is not interested in, in raising up little hypocrites. And if you prefer to live in unrighteousness by hanging out in bars and nightclubs or spending all your time running after material things or living in an impure way, or if you aren't, aren't sure that you are really eager to dedicate the entire day of rest to God, or if you have no intention of being a living, contributing member of this congregation, then know from the outset that you won't stand very long in the army of God's kingdom. Requires a commitment. Requires a love for God and for your neighbor. The prince of this world has to be completely renounced in order to commit to the eternal king of heaven. If you are in the kingdom of heaven, you will never enjoy you will never enjoy spending time in the evil of the, of the kingdom of the evil one. Sincere Christianity requires you to be countercultural, different, and constantly giving without expecting to get anything in return. And if it is sincere and impacts every part of your life, you can be sure that your public profession of faith will bring ongoing, real, visible, and sometimes painful consequences. You can expect to be reviled if you love, worship, and follow a Savior who was crucified, even though he was innocent. And that is who we are following, a Savior who was crucified. Because of Christ, Christians are reviled. In the expansion on the eighth beatitude, that's verses 11 and 12, Jesus explains that when he is talking about persecution, he's not only talking about physical suffering and, and being pursued by enemies or clamped into chains or thrown into prisons and killed. Verse 11 also talks about being reviled, having others utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, on my account. Peter also talks about Christians being maligned and insulted for their faith. By including the unkind use of words in his further expansion in verses 11 to 12, our Lord Jesus makes that blessed statement very personal for everyone who believes in him. In addition to this, you'll also notice that the Lord Jesus changes the person. Verse 10 is, is in the third person. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And then verse 11, he, he goes to the second person, person. Blessed are you when you are reviled. And so he brings that reality right into our own lives. And what is true for the disciples, we see, is also true for those who follow Jesus Christ in the church. Now, when we think of persecution... We often think of those 
countries far away, those dictator-type countries where Christians suffer a lot of physical punishment for their faith. And we could go on quite a bit about what Christians are suffering, being locked up in, in sea cans in the middle of the desert to, to sweat to death or being separated from families or removed. We could talk a lot about that. But as we think of our own situation, we, we might wonder if nice and friendly countries like Canada where we say I'm sorry all the time and everybody seems so kind, is it true that we too can see persecution? In fact, it seems maybe a little hard to believe that this passage has anything to do with us until, until you go to work and you seek to be righteous and you have good work ethic. And you don't waste your boss's time by, by looking at Facebook in, in your, while you're supposed to be working. And you see how the rest of the employees in, in the company look at you. They don't appreciate righteousness. You may not think Christians are slandered for righteousness until you're the only person in your government office who refuse to, to demand or to take bribes for services. And your life can even be endangered because of your righteousness. I knew many police officers in Brazil who refused to take a bribe and were threatened. Their lives were threatened by other police officers many times. It's not even the greater cause of Christianity that offends. And a lot of people can say many nice things about the, the, what a church is good for. It's good for having friends and fellowship. Or they might say the principles of Christianity are, are fine. That's, that's not what offends people. But what offends people is the individual's commitment to God and personal righteousness. That's what causes people to revile Christians. Your kindness, your diligence, your respect for authority, your honesty, your mercy, your genuine desire for the well-being of others that you show when you carry out your daily tasks. It stirs the consciences of others and they feel rightly condemned by implication. And although we might pray that observers might be jealous for the same thing and, and then see our righteousness and, and want to, to learn more about Christ, and that happens a lot, we pray for that, such righteousness does often cause others to revile you instead, just as our Lord Jesus said. Peter explains that Unbelievers notice when you no longer live just for human passions and they are surprised that you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. That's First Peter 4, verses 2 to 4. And if you think that it is difficult to resist the temptations out there from people who do not really belong to your group, how much more difficult is, is it when Christians are reviled by other people who call themselves Christians? And I'm sad to admit it. I'm sad to talk about it. But you young people here today, you need to know that there are wolves among the sheep. Not everyone in the church is, is living led by the Holy Spirit. It's not just unbelievers and secular governments who malign sincere Christians, but also hypocrites and even sincere Christians who are, are temporarily blinded by sin. 
Jeremiah was thrown into a pit by a king who was supposed to fear God, but he did not want to hear the truth. Jesus was crucified at the request of the very people he lived among, the church of his day. Jesus warned his disciples that they would be thrown out of the synagogues, we read in John 16. Thrown out of the synagogues by the very people who valued righteousness and the law as much as they did. Paul would be pursued all over Europe by fellow Jews and even opposed by people who were preaching Christ. He says, well, whatever their motives, at least they're preaching Christ. You remember that passage. Later in history, it was the monks and the leaders who denounced wrong doctrine and the acceptance of moral sins in the church that were reviled by that same church for their serious commitment to Jesus Christ. You see, even people who call themselves Christians do not always keep in step with the Spirit when they interact with others. And although we, we don't really need to be surprised at this because we have mirrors and we look at ourselves and we see in ourselves how often we fight against envy and, and pride and, and selfishness in our own hearts and we think about the things we ourselves have said to, to fellow Christians the fact is that even in the church, and Paul writes about that in Galatians 5:15, people bite and devour one another. Be warned that even in the church, where leaders are constantly seeking to encourage a, a positive environment and a celebration of, of Christ's victory in our lives as the center of our lives, there are people who find sincere righteousness offensive. You can think of Examples, here you are resisting inappropriate pressure to advance sexually in your relationship with that boy or that girl who even went to Christian school with you and you're seeking purity because of Christ and you're reviled, you're slandered. And all of a sudden you might even be losing a person as a friend. Jesus warns you, and this is to the shame of the church, that attentive imitation of Christ Holy living and obedience, a strong desire to talk about and to deal with sin. Yes, all these things that characterize the heart and the commitment of these young people before us this afternoon, it can cause them to be reviled. It's a humbling message for leaders and members alike. As we reflect carefully on the, the culture of this church, of this congregation, are we constantly contributing to a because-of-Christ culture in Emmanuel? And sadly, it may happen. Someone feels that their habits or what they like to do, or the things that they do, that they're threatened by the presence of a godly person. They may not even feel like inviting you to an event. They feel threatened by one who is too righteous. They might even tell you, concerned that you might be too holy. Or you sing in church with too much enthusiasm and emotion. You are too committed to the well-being of the congregation. That's not a culture that Jesus Christ teaches us to think about, to work on. Are we encouraging commitment 
Are we employing the skills? Are we focusing on, on ongoing leadership? Or are we maybe unintentionally, are we teaching one another to be ashamed of our unity to Christ the eternal King? We're trying to encourage people to, to camouflage themselves in this world. Don't sing too loud. Don't stand out. Don't be known as a Christian. Well, may it never, ever be dangerous or costly or even uncool to be righteous in Emmanuel. And may every righteous word, every time you exhort a brother or a sister, Every time you say no to a sin as a temptation is, is offered to you, every visit and every deed and every idea to, to serve more, may that be acknowledged by us all as a congregation and all of us as families with a smiling nod and say, yes, because of Christ, because of Christ, that's who we are. And that reminds us that all that suffering is worth it. Because of him. Because of him we're rewarded. So how should we react when we are reviled? What does the Lord Jesus tell us to do? Well, he does not tell us to retaliate. It's a good thing, a good lesson for us as a congregation to learn. We've all been hurt by others. The answer isn't retaliate and make others pay the price for what they did to you. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even allow us to feel resentment or depression. He tells us to do the opposite. He says, rejoice and be glad. Now, he doesn't mean that we should rejoice in the fact that there are people who hate God and his church, nor be glad in the pain and the suffering that they inflict on other Christians. But he means that we should rejoice as we consider how rewarding suffering insult because of him can be. Suffering because of Jesus Christ means that a Christian is truly identified with Christ Jesus. If they are making you suffer because of him, they see you as being a part of him. It's a reason for rejoicing. You're, you're considered worthy of suffering dishonor for his name, disgrace for his name. Paul wrote about that also in Philippians 1, verse 20, 29. We're identified with Christ also in suffering. As our Lord Jesus said, nothing confirms the truth of what you believe more than being treated like the prophets were treated. In Luke 6, verse 26, the Lord Jesus also warns us the other way. He says, woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. So persecution and insult they confirm that you are identified with Christ. You are truly part of a kingdom that is not of this world. And suffering because of Christ is a way that God tests and he strengthens any faith in our hearts, the faith in our hearts that is, that is there. Often we think that we need to do things or have things because of Christ, but then these things are taken away from us. And we realize that that rather than help us to be more faithful to Christ, they have actually become distractions. Persecution can mean we lose jobs or school or, or, or home or family or friends or health. And then we ask, well, where am I really putting my trust? Persecution tests the genuineness of our faith. 
our death to ourselves, our death to our own kingdoms, and our commitment to Jesus Christ. Peter talks about the fiery trial of suffering that we often endure. And then in chapter 1, he says, it's removing the dross from our hearts to ensure that we are completely dedicated to the praise and the honor and the glory of God's name. Through trials, we discover who our true spiritual family is and what genuine love for God and our neighbor looks like. And then Jesus said, this brings eternal blessings. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the beginning of the Beatitudes, verse 3, and he rounds it off with the last Beatitude in verse 10. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who follow Jesus Christ are already citizens of God's eternal kingdom. You have the promise of everlasting fellowship with the creator of heaven and earth. You are the people described in the Beatitudes, shining as lights in the world around you. The next verses, Jesus talks about being a salt and being a light. And then we realize that this kingdom that we are in, the kingdom of heaven, is, is an eternal kingdom. And we're on our way to that eternal kingdom. We're, we're passing through the world today like, like a, a group of people on a way to a wedding feast. And as we go, we may shine the love of God to our neighbors, to those around us. And that place, Jesus said, it's, it's a reward. Not a reward that is earned, but a reward that can be compared to, to a father who's excited to, to have you come into his home and he, and he sends a, a present ahead of you and, and you, you get that present just because you belong. It's a present given in love, an added benefit of belonging to the family of God. Well, that joy you feel in the hope the joy that you can experience for all eternity. And so Jenna and Richard and Janessa and Kayla and Kaya and Asia and Luke and Calvin and Larissa and Alexa and Brody and Kendra as Christians gathered together this afternoon, both in our homes watching live stream and, and here in the building, we're glad that you are standing up saying you're going to be co-soldiers with us in the kingdom of heaven, fighting for the glory of God's name for, for all eternity in this spiritual battle. And we urge you as a congregation, I as pastor, your pastor, to, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. He leads you in this world in all righteousness. He upholds you in the hour of temptation. And he also says to courage, courageously do all things and bear all opposition with joy because of him. Amen. I invite you all to stand so we can sing together in response hymn 71.